Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Maffedon. Thanks for tuning in. BNN News has reached the end of the year, but before we launch into 2023, we'd like to take a look back at the 10 most impactful stories covered since the relaunch of the news this June. Starting at number 10, the Age Strong Commission's Latinx Heritage Month celebration was a vibrant reflection, and the senior community lived it up. In Boston, seniors from the Age Strong Latinx Heritage Month celebration danced to vibrant music and let their voices be heard. These seniors have laid deep roots in Boston and they're proud of their culture. In between dancing and laughing, community members reconnected in the Reggie Lewis Center where their voices were uplifted and culture celebrated. The story of Latinx heritage lives in rich music, traditions, and foods, and it's a joy they want to share with others. I am particularly excited and proud of the Hispanic Heritage Month celebration because it's an opportunity for us to teach other people about our culture, but more importantly to demand respect for our communities, but also to teach our youth how to be proud of our own roots. We're here today celebrating Hispanic heritage. It's so important that we can honor everybody's culture. You know, that's what makes our city so wonderful is people coming here from all different places, bringing their history, their traditions, their culture. And today we really get to honor and lift up um, Hispanic older adults in the city of Boston and thank them for what they do to make our our city just as as beautiful and as vibrant as it is. I'm incredibly proud of being a Latina and in this uh, Latinx or Hispanic Heritage Month depending on what you call it I'm, I urge you to continue to celebrate and create safe spaces of joy for all of our communities to be able to not only celebrate who we are and be proud of who we are but also to recognize that we deserve to be celebrated and welcomed beyond just one month every year. At number nine, the Wampanoag Nation celebration at JFK Presidential Library and Museum for Native American Heritage Month. There was more to appreciate the morning after Thanksgiving as Wampanoag Nation singers and dancers shared the stories and music of their people with the next generation. The Celebrate series, designed for family audiences and children ages five and up, highlights America's rich cultural diversity through the arts. And Friday was no exception, as families of all backgrounds took part in traditional songs of the Wampanoag Nation, dancing their way through the auditorium of the JFK Library. With four to 5,000 Wampanoag people living in New England today, Preserving their culture is more important than ever, and the opportunity to connect and converse brought a deeper understanding of this native tribe. We've been on this journey, and we realize how important it is that we have respect for all living things. And mankind needs to do that as well. The earth has been put here to take care of us, and we need to respect it and live in harmony with it. Otherwise, it's going to retaliate, as we will see our next generations will have to deal with that. So it's important that we learn from each other and be able to come as one mind and so that we can survive here for generations to come. It's important, of course, to share um, the fact that Mashpee Wampanoags and all Wampanoag people still are here on their ancestral homeland, struggling to um, 
uh, make it in today's world and also to protect our resources, our water sources, our land is always under threat um, after these 400 years of colonization. Um, so it's important to uh, bring that awareness to the world um, and also to help our young tribal members and um, uh, young people to carry on the things that we were taught because uh, they're going to have to teach their children those traditions and the cultures in a way that uh, enabled our people to live and also to uh, be here today. I think it's really beautiful to see, you know, young people engaging uh, with our people, us as in the Wampanoag people, um, because not only does it show that there's a future where we have young people who are educating themselves about our history, uh, but that also means that we're, we're connecting on the human level. Uh, and I think that is the key to um, building better relations, right? Like I think if we can come together and have an understanding of where we come from, what foot we're standing on, I think that makes for better relations. And at number eight, the signing of the Crown Act into law, a moment of triumph and dignity for people of color and their natural hairstyles. Uh, I can't even believe we're here today and this is actually happening. And just like Deanna said, I remember back to when we first got in trouble for this and going down to the principal's office and being nervous because I knew I was going to get in trouble for my hair and now no one's going to have to go through that. An emotional day for twin sisters Deanna and Maya Cook as they watched Governor Baker sign the Crown Act into law Tuesday afternoon. For many young black girls and women, fear and shame have been entwined with their hair, told in school and the workplace that their hairstyles are inappropriate or unprofessional. The Crown Act, which stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair, prohibits racial discrimination based on hair texture and protective styles. Today, girls of color in Massachusetts can hold their heads a little higher. My natural hair was not going to fly in the city of Boston as it did in Atlanta when I was learning school and studying the practice of law. So I did painstaking hours to straighten it so that way we know court and public perception matter if you're trying to represent somebody and protect their rights and their livelihood. And so what you sign today isn't just a piece of paper. It's not just symbolic. It truly is a game changer for black women and folks who have natural hair all throughout our commonwealth. And it matters. So thank you. All ladies. Uh, black, Latino, Asian in particular, should not have to show up as though they're white. And that's really the, the, the conversation, that we're changing our cultures and our workplace at schools and the like because of the fact that we're trying to match the majority. And so today's bill, what it does is it ends that. And it says that we can show up who we, are, who we naturally are and we can be who we naturally are without having any discrimination. It's important that we celebrate people as they are because then you truly are saying we are all equal because every single one of us and how we show up is unique and beautiful and worth celebrating. It's, it's the first thing you can do if you're trying to oppress somebody or a group of people is to tell them that how they are naturally is not acceptable, is substandard. And that's what a lot of our laws do when they're policing our hair, our bodies, or our skin color. It is a blessing to know that now we can't be judged. We can go anywhere we want to with our hair the way we choose to do it. It's our culture, it's our right, it's my kids' right, it's our kids' right. At number seven, the Dimmick Center received $1 million to expand post-detox stabilization care. On Wednesday, Presley celebrated $1 million of federal community project funding for the Dimmick Center and a roundtable with the center's patients and staff. 
The money will go towards the creation of Boston's first post-detox clinical stabilization program for men. It will also make possible renovations of Demix Z building to a 32-bed state-of-the-art CSS campus that provides care to over a thousand people each year. Demix stands apart as Boston's full-spectrum treatment center for those struggling with substance abuse. By filling the need for post-detox care within Boston, Demix Center is restoring hope. If you look at our city streets today, uh, there's people, there's people on the streets that have nowhere to go. If they had a detox to come into, with hope of, you know, on this campus is a detox. If they could look across and see that there's people they were in detox with moving on to a CSS and see them smiling, and then look across the street from there and see people in a halfway house smiling, get better. I think just the one-stop situation is um, very um, good for the treatment. Three out of four people can actually beat this disease. But to beat this disease, it requires access to the type of resources that this funding provides. By us being able to double our capacity here in clinical stabilization, it actually affords the opportunity for another five to a thousand people, 500 to a thousand people, to actually be on that road to recovery. And we think about what that really means. Across the city of Boston, there are roughly 5,000 people a year who are looking for services. So when we talk about increasing this capacity to serve 1,000 individuals, that's really a significant impact. Too often our country incarcerates and criminalizes pain. Uh, we have a legacy in this country of treating trauma with more trauma. And that is why uh, pace setting, innovative, holistic, uh, culturally competent and compassionate programs like this one are so necessary to disrupt that legacy and that status quo response um, of criminalization resulting in great shame and stigma and isolation. At number six and a BNN favorite was the annual Roslindale Porch Fest. This fall, some extraordinary young musicians showed off their talents. Porch Fest hit Roslindale this weekend as hundreds of people came out to enjoy the live music. But what they may not have expected was who they were going to be jamming out to. The dozens of young performers drew crowds of people in as they performed classics. These young folks were extremely passionate about their musical interests and were both thrilled and nervous to perform in front of the Rosslindale crowd. I just like tune everyone out except my band. I just look like at something else like I look at my delay like fingers playing I really like focus so like I get everything right and I've ju and I just tune everything out except the music that I hear friends family and new fans came out to support the various young bands and it just brings out people you know into neighborhoods and people get to know each other that maybe they wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise and it's a great shared experience and it's one of the things I love about Boston and the performers were not shy about expressing their love for music. I think it's just like fun to like get together and just like have fun and like play instruments and stuff. You have people to like know how you feel like you feel nervous. You can talk to them like, oh, it's okay. You've done this before. You have all the 
Like, you're talented enough to do this. You got this. One group of young ladies felt strongly about the stereotypes of women in the industry. In most of the bands that I've seen um, the, that are um, women and men, the girl just sings, and, and it's important that like Tati and Avani are on guitar and keyboard just to show that everybody else can do what they can do as well. It was clear that these young folks were shining brightly in their performance, and we hope to see these artists again at the next Porch Fest. At number five, the inaugural Ukrainian Festival and Independence Day celebration. Love of country and tradition flowed freely at the first Ukrainian Festival and Independence Day celebration at the Boston University campus. From 2 to 8 p.m. Saturday, over 3,000 attendees stood proudly with Ukraine as they enjoyed the day of music, dance, art, and food. Families spent time with loved ones in play and joyfully raising the Ukrainian flag. However, sunflowers and the colorful atmosphere could not hide the troubling situation of the war at home. It's bittersweet that we're having this festival today. Of course, we're all very happy to be here. We want to show the world who we are, what a beautiful culture we have, our beautiful language, the language which is musical and melodious, our gorgeous songs, our dances, our fashion, our delicious food. And at the same time, we are not forgetting for one second what is actually going on in Ukraine right now. This is so important that we all come here together today, united. The whole Ukrainian community is united. The whole world is united in support of Ukraine, in support of democracy. So what this festival means to all freedom-loving people around the world, um, you know, and especially right here in America, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave, and Ukraine is absolutely that too. So when people see the Ukrainian flag, they should know that uh, American ideals, Polish ideals, anyway, Canadian ideals, all of, all of the freedom-loving people of this world, anyone who loves it, this is, this is what Ukrainian flag stands for, that freedom. This year, the state of women's health care in America drastically changed after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Our number four BNN story covered the uproar of people outraged with the Supreme Court decision. What do we want? Abortion rights! When do we want them? Now! If we don't get Angry, frustrated, and passionate, protesters took to the streets of Copley Square on June 24th in response to the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. The emergency protests hosted by the Boston chapters of Socialist Alternative and Party for Socialism and Liberation gave voice to those reeling that a federal constitutional right to abortion no longer exists. States will now determine their own abortion rights, a concern for many as 26 states are set to restrict or ban abortions upon the court's decision. Pro-choice activists and allies alike maintain that access to abortion is health care and women must have autonomy over their bodies. I'm infuriated about the Supreme Court decision. I think access to safe abortion is fundamental right. Um, it's a human right. It's a, health, it's a matter of health care and it's about trusting women and anybody who can bear children and girls for that matter to have basic autonomy over 
their body, and um, it's it's a terrible decision, taking us backwards 50 years. This um, Roe v. Wade overturn is a attack on women and the rights of working people all across the country. It's uh, a horrible news that we're hearing, but not surprising, unfortunately, that a Supreme Court of nine unelected judges has decided to impose um, these uh, restrictions on bodily autonomy for millions of women. I'm of the opinion that the decision today does not make any sense. Um, I think women in the U.S. will continue to have abortions whether or not Roe v. Wade stands. Um, the difference now is that they're going to be punished for it. They won't be able to do it in a safe manner. Um, and that abortions will only go to the women that have the resources or the money to afford it. Women that can cross state lines where abortion is still legal, like in Massachusetts, um, they'll be able to get the abortions that they want. Um, but unfortunately, this uh, revocation is going to affect um, women of color, poor women, women in rural areas that can't access abortion anymore. Um, and they, these are the exact women that need that health care. Um, I have always been an advocate for women's health and women's rights, and I think that this is a huge step backwards and a slap in the face. It's not rooted in men versus women. It's rooted in classism, misogyny, racism. Um, and I'm very disappointed in the decision of the Supreme Court today. At number three, the MBTA shutdown of the Orange Line caused quite a stir in the commute of many Bostonians this year. You don't know what you have until it's gone. It's a brand new world as Boston commuters close in on the first full week without the orange line, seeing less of this and more of this. As shuttle stops, shuttles and biking become the norm in the city, the MBTA is doing the hard work of ensuring the new orange line is worth the wait. If you're taking a new route to work, spending more time in the car or getting back on a bike, you're not alone. BNN News checked in on residents to see how they're faring with the new changes. It seems like it's going surprisingly well. Uh, the shuttle drivers are actually pretty nice and the crosswalk people are helping. Um, you know, it adds 10 minutes, 20 minutes to a commute, but if they're serious about the T being better after 30 days, I guess it's worth it. It's super inconvenient. Normally my commute would be around 30 minutes, 25. Now it's probably like an hour. 25 minutes. The closest green line is like 30 minutes biking away, so it's pretty terrible actually. I don't think I'm going to be going into work the majority of the week. It wasn't that bad. I thought it was going to be a lot worse when I first uh, heard about this. I thought it was going to be a much more of an inconvenience and so far this is my first time um, getting into work and it's been on time. It's been uh, the buses were there as soon as I got to the stop. Uh, now I'm here. It took almost a little bit longer than usual, but not too bad. It's kind of been the, the line that I've depended on for my couple of months of living here so far, so it's a little bit of a disruption. My job starts today. So I'm just glad they're taking care of the problems, really. Our number two story tells the tale of hope and unity. The annual Boston Marathon Jimmy Fund Walk was a beautiful display of solidarity in the face of cancer, as it has been for over three decades. BNN News took an inside look at the inner workings and heartwarming stories of the day. 
With their running shoes and red shirts on, thousands walked for the Jimmy Fund on Sunday for the first time since 2019. And it's so wonderful to be back for the first time in person since 2019. The Jimmy Fund Walk, in collaboration with Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, has helped raise over $155 million since 1989. It was easy for participants to make the 3.1-mile journey, knowing who they were walking for. Dana-Farber has had a measurable impact on patients battling cancer. And those who've been treated by the Cancer Institute have nothing but praise for their work. Dana-Farber is basically like the five-star hotel of, you know, the cancer hospitals. They're amazing. We've been, we've come from obviously overseas, so we got to see what it's really like for a lot of people who can't, you know, even pay for their chemo. Um, we ended up spending $20,000 out of pocket in the first month for her treatment. In, in Pakistan. In Pakistan, yeah. I guess I walk because, I mean, I walk to save people, but I walk because it also really, really matters where you go. Because they just know so much more about cancer than anywhere else. Patients of all ages came together to raise awareness and fight for the cure. Like Anya Rhodes, a Jimmy Fund Walk hero who shared her story of bravery, as well as some of her musical talent. This is my first time, and I've been fighting through a lot, and I finally finished, and I just feel like a hero right now. Sometimes I lay under the moon, and I think God I'm breathing, then I Cause I'm here for a reason Sometimes in my tears I drown But I never let it get me down So many supporters shared their stories with us And even the not-so-happy endings had a resounding message My uncle from K-Verde, which was my mom's brother, died from cancer We tried our best to help him And I really miss him And I hope he has a good time from all walks of life they came, but every participant had one common message. You have to keep fighting. This is something that, you know, you cannot let, let it go, you know, because of a cancer. I know it's, it's hard to do it, but you have to keep fighting. Although walkers crossed the finish line, it was far from the end. Teams and Jimmy Fund volunteers came together to refuel and reminisce on the great strides made that day. Pediatric patients literally made their mark to close out the amazing day. Being a part of the Jimmy Fund means being a part of a movement that's motivated to never stop trying to defy cancer. Uh, we'll keep doing it until we don't need to do it anymore. And at number one, the historic election of women in Massachusetts leadership from November's midterm elections is one for the books. With a cascade of firsts from Andrea Campbell, the first black woman to win the attorney general seat, to the election of Maura Healey, not only the first woman elected governor of the Commonwealth, but also the first out lesbian governor in the nation. The energy of the night will never be forgotten. The emotion was palpable on Tuesday's election night. History was made when a wave of women leaders crashed into the shores of the Commonwealth, 
including the first all-female executive team in Maura Healy and Kim Driscoll, and first black woman elected to a statewide office in Andrea Campbell's term as Attorney General. It was a star-studded procession of speakers, starting with Mayor Wu, who was immensely proud of this achievement, seeing this as an opportunity to set an example for the nation. Kim Driscoll was elected lieutenant governor, and her speech reminded women the importance of claiming what's theirs. This evening is 242 years in the making. Today, Massachusetts voters stood proud, spoke with one powerful, clear voice, and said, it's her time! Just as impactful was the crowd who mirrored the diversity of the elected leaders. The star of the night was Maura Healey, who won 63% of the vote in Tuesday's governor race, following her two terms as attorney general. Known as the people's lawyer, Maura Healey is an LGBTQ champion, becoming the first openly lesbian governor in the United States. Our job from day one will be to make our state more affordable. I'll be a governor for every person struggling with higher costs. And as long as I'm governor, women will always have the freedom to control their own bodies. Tonight, I want to say something to every little girl and every young LGBTQ person out there. I hope, I hope tonight shows you that you can be whatever, whoever you want to be. Elected Attorney General Andrea Campbell ended the celebration by promising more progressive and equitable legislation and the future of her term. Thank you so much for tuning in, Boston. It has been quite the journey. Well, we look forward to continuing to grow with you and share the stories of your neighborhoods. And as always, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, Files Channel 2161, and our BNN HD Xfinity Channel 1072. Happy New Year. We wish you a joyful and abundant 2023. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amathodon, and I'll see you in the new year.